How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. We've spoken a lot recently about staff shortages and resource depletion within EMS. Unique initiatives, outside-the-box thinking, and creative ways of ensuring the safety of those within communities during these difficult times has become the focus of many industry leaders. With that said, there is one question that requires serious consideration these days. Should community risk reduction and education take a more prominent role within our industrial mission? Returning to the podcast to discuss this very important topic is Dr. Aaron Rohn. Aaron is an industry leader as well as a faculty member at Columbia Southern University. For EMS professionals, flexibility is more than a convenience. It is a necessity. Start anytime with Columbia Southern's university's life-paced learning enrollment option. Progress through your courses in as little as four weeks or as many as 10 weeks. Complete assignments at your own pace with no required login times. Enrollment is open 365 days a year. Visit columbiasouthern.edu forward slash EMS to learn more. Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be back. So let's just jump right in on this. To remind the listener, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your position with CSU? So one of the great things, as you mentioned, uh, I'm an industry leader. I I work as a state EMS official, but I'm also a part-time faculty member at Columbia Southern University. At the university, I hold the uh, distinguished faculty title for 2021 and teach in the EMS administration programs where we teach everything from how to research within EMS to designing EMS systems. A lot goes on with this. And obviously, CSU is a leader in EMS education. They take on so many different formats that make it very convenient for the learner. But embedded within this is the topic that we're speaking about today, um, and that is community risk reduction and education. And, you know, obviously, like I said in the lead in, you know, we are looking for any way to try to plug the hole right now that we find ourselves in with resource um, issues as far as staffing, as far as the models that are out there. Uh, You know, COVID really, you know, took its toll on staffing in our industry and trying to persevere and get through this has been complicated. So talk to me a little bit about what this whole community risk reduction and education is all about. And first, Mike, you're 100% right in the fact that CSU, we are a leader in safety and emergency services education. That's really where we got our roots. But beyond that, we we do focus even in the EMS administration programs on community risk reduction. It's one of the classes I teach. And when you cross over the ideas of community risk reduction and education, we're really trying to utilize the EMS system to its fullest extent to expand upon and create healthier communities. Not only do we worry about our own internal agency, how we're dealing with the COVID pandemic and other issues that have affected staffing and resources across the EMS industry, but we need to look at our community. Obviously, our job as public health professionals, EMS professionals, we are the clinicians that are out on the streets every day, and we work in a 
a system that has great wealths of data that allow us to understand what our community faces. So we need to look at community risk reduction in a huge global sense first, and not just think of it as the community paramedicine programs. While those programs are great and they are helping address the super utilizers or what we used to call the frequent flyers of EMS, community risk really looks at a lot of other things. We're looking at things like, is there chemical industries or industrial plants in your area that are creating increase in call volume? Is it a high risk sport sporting event? You know, you just got a local ice rink built and you're gonna start youth hockey. How do we educate the public to be safer and healthier? But to do that, we also have to have an understanding of the education values behind that. And I, I know we're gonna go through a little bit here, but we're gonna kind of introduce the idea of the peer model from NHTSA, which is the public information, public education and public relations roles that an EMS agency can really establish. Yeah, it's interesting because there are certainly different ways of approaching this. And I think that there are certain things that have been put in place over the years and even decades, you know, public access to fibrillation and, you know, doing your regular blood pressure checks on folks and things like that. And just keep staying on top of it, being proactive. But now I think we're diving into something a little deeper, like you said, a global perspective. And, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the the most effective ways that we can gauge this and, and try to educate others on what they should be looking for? Well, it all starts first with self-education. We as the EMS industry need to do a great job of understanding how to organize curiosity or do research. You know, everyone is curious about how we do something better. And EMS, through the course of time, has done great with utilizing clinical advancements that we take from the hospital and taking it out into the field. But we often fail at taking that information and relaying it to the community to show more than just relevance in the community, but also how to improve their health and safety. So we start with that own internal understanding. So that's one of the great things if we can kind of go back and not get into the debate of whether degrees are required for EMS or not, but learning how to research and how to take the bias out of what you're looking at will help us first understand the needs of our community. Then we need to start working towards and kind of going back to that peer model, we have the public information and public relations section that NHTSA really talks about. And the public information, you know, we spend good, deal of time talking about what we're doing at incidents, but that public information also needs to help get out information about blood pressure checks or helping people understand diabetes and making them in a more informed society. And it also goes to public relations. We as the EMS system know in our community where we have the special interest groups or those partners that we can partner with either the healthcare or hospital systems, or even you know the American Cancer Society, the local special interest groups that deal with concussions or in in my area we have a group that's really advocating hard and dealing well with um, ensuring that student athletes have pre-physical screenings and 12 leads to ensure that there's no underlying heart conditions. As an EMS agency, partnering with those groups helps us better educate the public on what EMS can provide, but also we're trusted in the community that allows us to get out there more and help spread that message. Yeah, and I think like you you mentioned, there's certainly going to be obstacles that the EMS professionals face as they're trying to educate the community. But I'm curious about your perspective with respect to, do you feel that the EMS professionals themselves will give pushback 
because they say, hey, you know what? That's not really my job. My job is to go to the call, to treat the patient, to transport the patient. And I'm not an educator, right? My, my job is to be spot on when I'm there and I'm called. It's not really to do that community type service. How do you combat that as an administrator? So through the administration side of things, and even through education as a leader in the industry, what we need to understand is EMS is truly at a crossroads. You know, for years, we've been designed and built through the original EMS Systems Act of 1973 as a transportation model. But right now, COVID and everything else that we faced over the, the last few years with the pandemic and the establishment of community paramedicine programs, we are advancing ourselves more as clinicians and taking on that role while not necessarily quote unquote educators, but think about when you go to your PCP, they're talking to you about the conditions you're facing. They're telling you things that you need to know to help you be healthier. And we're doing the same thing. We need to be more engaged in the community around itself because that's what's going to help us prevent some of that burnout of dealing with those super utilizers or the frequent flyers is going back and helping them understand medication compliance and maybe connecting them with social services. But to do that, we have to understand the risks that our community face. Are we a high population that has a large homeless population? Is it predominantly a Medicare, Medicaid funded you know, community where there's a lot of elderly on a fixed income and we are the sole source of primary health care? Addressing that and kind of opening the minds of those who believe that the status quo of you call, we haul is all EMS should be is where we really need to change that educational acceptance of our field providers. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I agree wholeheartedly in this comprehensive type concept of, listen, let's be more than just those EMTs, paramedics that respond and provide that you know, care on scene. Opening that up to that community paramedicine, mobile integrated healthcare model is everything. But is this the carrot that we're going to dangle to finally get acknowledged as an industry? Are we going to run with this now and make this standardized? Because I could tell you right now, there's so many of these agencies and these entities that are saying, yeah, this sounds great, but we don't even have enough funding to put ambulances on the road. How are we going to run with this? How are we going to make this work? Well, and, and, to that point, Mike, you're, you're 100% right. We're at that crossroad. And I know that there's going to be people who listen to this podcast who immediately start shaking their head of we're not public health, we're an EMS provider. And we are clinicians. We, we are working towards that establishment of more respect and growth within the profession that we've chosen to work in. But to do that, we need to grow beyond the idea of the status quo. To do that though, we need to understand how to organize our thoughts. We need to be able to be good communicators, not only just to our elected officials saying we need more money, but also to the community. It's a two-way street of public information and education, which kind of goes back to that whole overarching public relations idea. It doesn't cost a thing to start communicating and telling people what they can do better within their lifestyle. We're not lecturing them. We're not berating them into being healthier people. But what we're trying to say is, hey, look, you know, I've been out here a couple of times. I noticed that you have some loose carpets. Can we work with you or work in a partnership with some people who are the, the young guns coming up in our industry to do a fall reduction program where we come out and we take those, those carpets down and we partner with communities, resources such as Lowe's or Home Depot, if they have that willingness to participate to address with the grab bars and things like that. 
it's not just about what we need to put out financially. It's what we can partner with, what we can connect with to make our communities better. But to do that, we need to understand the community, research the community, research different programs, look at what other places are doing. Again, remembering community risk reduction isn't all just community paramedicine. It's more so looking at the broad base of creating a healthier society. And the more we can educate and advocate for people as itself, the more I believe that we will have other healthcare professionals looking at us going, wow, EMS isn't just those guys and gals who jump in a vehicle, go out, pick somebody up and bring them to the hospital. They're more part of the integrated continuum of care, even though that's what we already are. Yeah. So let's stay with that. So then what, what internal processes need to be established, you know, or even simplified to allow EMS professionals to educate the community the way that they should be educated? Well, it'll, truly all starts with the un- understanding and use of quality improvement data and quality assurance data. As soon as I say QI, QA, people immediately are going to start to think, well, you know, that's only to discipline me. That's, you know, all the negative things of the world happening, QA, QI. It's a stigma. It, it, it truly is. But yet when we take that stigma away and we use the data that's there and we go, huh, in the last 10 months, we've had 97 fall patients. What are the root causes behind that? It doesn't take someone with a a true academic degree to start looking for the understanding of what the problem is. Then we just need to have people who are willing to jump on ideas and brainstorm to come up with the, how can we fix this? What is a good way to do this? You know, in some communities that I know of here, we have churches that are willing to partner with local responders to install grab bars in, in bathrooms to help people with mobility issues. It's partnerships. It's talking with other people and looking around at your community. There's a lot of great resources that every community has that I, from personal pers- experience and perspective, we've had a lack of reach out because we don't want to get in other people's soup. But we need to start building that greater connection with our community, not just only showing up when someone calls 911. You know, going out and doing community relations at public events, you know, if there's a, a, a craft fair or something like that. And, we want to talk about blood pressure issues and how to maintain those. It doesn't take much to work with a healthcare system to partner and provide educational material. The other thing that we need to do and real quick is talk about learning what we're going to say. You know, we have to, you don't want to send the salty old provider out there who has, has no public outreach capability, but you also want to send someone competent who, when they're talking to someone, isn't just sales pitching your agency, but is able to explain, you know, what benefit medication compliances or what, you know, how you can monitor your blood pressure yourself with some simple purchases from the local pharmacy. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The the whole public information officer, public relations thing for EMS, it's always been turfed off, right? It's always, we've never had a seat at that table because we've always just basically deferred. Um, and, and, Personally, we're at a point now where we just went through the greatest crisis we've ever faced, uh, not only as a country, but as an industry. And we came out the other side because we stood at the forefront. It's now time to insert ourselves. You know, let's take a more active approach with the public relations. Start inserting yourself into those discussions if you want to get recognized. You know, I mean, let's start talking about these things. And, And that's a great point, though, too, is we have to start talking about those things but we have to understand how to talk about them. And that kind of goes back into not only just understanding how to research the ideas that are impacting our community. You know, again, wealth of data. If you go into your patient care record system, I'm sure you can 
run reports that you're able to understand what is happening in your community. What, what is your high frequency call volume? You know, what is your high frequency medical issue? What, what can we work with? But then going to the local healthcare system and saying, hey, look, we experienced X. Again, this can kind of lead into the ideas of community paramedicine, but the risk reduction is identification of what the risks are in the community and how we solve them. Not all of it is the, we need to go out and do the health and home visits of a community paramedicine program, but some of that might be going, like I said, partnering with you know other agencies to prevent falls or going out and discussing the events of cardiac arrest in children and student athletes to help them have a more informed understanding. And to your point, you know, we're always great at PIOs for incident specific events. You know, we did this, our agency transported X, we're, we're great at those kind of communications, but we're not really on the public information relations category, where we're taking public information, showing our agency helping the community, but building those relationships and rapport other than just when the, the sirens are running and we need to be there in your worst day. All right. So let's stay with that. And so I'm wondering, how does continued or higher academic education help EMS professionals in, in developing these types of processes? So again, not to go into the debate of degree versus no degree, what makes us more professional or, or more respected within the other healthcare providers. But when we go back to discussing organizing curiosity or addressing how we want to develop programs, that comes back to the core foundation of the word research. And again, you say research around EMS people, and you're going to get the, oh, no, that's not us. That, that That's not what we do. But really, research is just looking at the problem, trying to find solutions. And as EMS professionals and EMS clinicians, we are great at figuring out what a problem is and finding the solution. It goes back to how to communicate that. And that's one of the great things about higher education and academic education is we teach the concepts of scholarly writing presenting it in an unbiased approach, utilizing the available resources to understand, you know, this program worked in County A, and this is why, and here's the facts. It didn't work in County B because of this and this and this, but if we merge these together, we can come up with a plan that will help in our respective county, municipality, whatever political subdivision you work in. But to understand the dynamic of removing the my town is best or my EMS agency is best. And this is why, and, you know, understanding failure points of others create learning opportunities to advance within your own system gets us out of that status quo. So having the ability to learn from other sources and grow and know how to write and how to present something that's not just the Aaron's idea or Mike's idea, it's the best universal understanding of information. That's where really our academic programs kind of help you grow in that process. Again, looking at, you know, we are flexible in the fact that we have our traditional term programs and life pace. So those who are working full-time adults, that's, this is a great opportunity, but it gives you the ability to understand and work with faculty who have walked in your shoes. So we're not just telling you this to help you get a degree. We're telling you this so when you go talk to your agency chief the next time or you talk to your county administrator or whoever the administrator is that does your budget, you're doing so intelligently in a way that we're removing acronyms and jargon and things like that so people clearly understand our message. Same way when you talk to the public. You know, the way we talk around the station is completely different than the way we should address the public. And if we talk around the station the way we talk to the public, that's where we lose some of that respect category. There's no question about it. Listen, choosing higher learning or, or continued education isn't just about 
the letters that go on the back, you know, the end of your name or your title, because that seems to be, unfortunately, what some people tend to do at four. You know, this is something really important for EMS folks to understand that this higher learning process is teaching you how to learn. Um, and so from the CSU perspective, how do they facilitate this and make it easier for EMS professionals who are basically working two to three jobs just to put food on the table? So again, we have both the life pace learning pro program, which there's no set requirement for login. There's no discussion board due dates. You have a little bit more flexibility in the overall course length that you have. So you have a little bit more time to work around that life, family, work balance. So you're still getting that quality education, but more so on your term. But we also have the term classes, which is a scheduled eight week course where you have due dates, things are more structured. I know that works better for some people than our life pace program, but it's all about flexible learning op opportunities. We have great tuition rates as well. And one of the other benefits too, if you talk with your agency leadership, we have the learning partners program, which allows for a discount to be applied for your tuition if your agency signs on to be a learning partner with us. We, we do a lot of work for the students as faculty too. We're very student focused. Our goal is for you to be successful, but you're going to work and learn from industry professionals. There's no question that CSU does a fabulous job in, in making it really easy uh, for the provider. And as you said, the provider can relate to these instructors and to the faculty. And, and that's something that is that goes such a long way because, you know, it's, it's very difficult, as you well know, as a provider to keep our intent, our attention. And, um, you know, when you are in front of somebody that is lecturing, that's speaking your language, that has walked the walk and talked the talk, it makes it that much more conducive to learning. So Aaron, Real quick, where can the listener go to learn a little bit more about CSU and, and EMS education? So our programs are found at www.columbiasouthern.edu forward slash EMS. And like you said there, Mike, one of the things is you're dealing with people who, you know, there's state EMS officials, there's agency leaders and owners, there's people who have walked in various aspects of the EMS profession who are your faculty members. And again, while we're student focused, we're going to give you ideas and we're going to come back with feedback that will help you grow, not only just in the way you communicate, but also to give you ideas of, hey, did you think about this? Have you looked at this program? We're always looking, we're always redesigning classes based off of what current industry trends are. And those classes aren't written by an academic who doesn't have field experience. They're written by practicing professionals. So the faculty that you're learning from are helping write those classes that you're going to take in the future. Aaron, I always appreciate you hopping on. You're a wealth of information. And, and this topic is really, really relevant and something that people need to start taking a little deeper dive into as we try to continue to move EMS along in the right direction. So thanks again for jumping on with us. I appreciate it, Megan. Thanks for having me. We certainly are at a crossroads right now in EMS and rethinking our industry model must become a priority for all. A special thank you to Columbia Southern University. Columbia Southern University is committed to helping you reach your educational goals without repeating courses or clinicals. Certified paramedics may gain academic credit for their previously earned paramedic certificate toward an associate of science and emergency medical services. Tuition is half the cost of other universities and textbooks are always provided at no cost to you. Learn more at columbiasouthern.edu forward slash EMS. Also, a quick reminder that EMS Expo 2022 is right around the corner, October 10th to the 14th in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Don't miss out. Register today. 
And once again, thanks for listening to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Talk soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 